So it's um, my second semester of my freshman year at Mizzou, and I am out doing stuff in my uh, car, riding around doing stuff, and I decide I need to go to the library. It was my freshman year. I still cared. Uh, and so I go to the library, and I uh, get out. And see, I'd become a Christian. My, fresh, my first semester of my freshman year, I didn't come from a Christian home, didn't grow up going to church much, anything like that. But uh, through a weird set of events, like no one ever came and told me about Jesus, uh, it's something I'd kind of known about for a long time because a little camp my parents had shipped me off to as a break from me. And can't, you can't imagine, but they did. And so they got tired of me and sent me off, and I heard about Jesus, but I was like seven. And it's not till I'm like turning 19 that any of it kind of comes back and makes any sense. But, but I, I, I was a freshman in a fraternity house, and, and somehow, I, I don't know how other by God's grace, I come to believe the gospel. And for, for whatever reason, I move out of the fraternity. If I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have done that. But I just didn't know any Christians, so I thought, I don't know what to do, but this doesn't look good for me. Uh, so, so I move into this storm, and, and that, that's where I was living when I was out driving around. I, I went to the library, and when I came out of Alice, I, I just hit Lowry Mall, and I... Uh, turned and walked back to the dorm. But I'd forgotten I'd driven to the library. See, I had parked over in the professional building uh, across from Middle Bush. I'd parked behind there, the only place I could find to, to, to park. And I got out of the library and walked back to the dorm, forgetting I had driven my car there. And, and so a couple days later, because I didn't need my car the next few days, but like three days later, I come out of the dorm and I'm looking for my car and I can't find it anywhere. And I'm like walking up and down the rows of cars. And I drove this like big black Buick. It looked like a hearse. It had been a hand-me-down for my parents. And uh, it, it's not hard to find, a hearse. So I'm looking back and forth. And, then I, and I'm starting to get a little stressed. Like somebody stole my car. How, what am I going to tell my parents? Somebody stole my car. And then all of a sudden it hits me. Oh, you idiot. You parked in the professional building. So I go walking over there. And I get over there three days later. And there's just a stack of tickets. I mean, it hadn't been towed, but there's just this stack of tickets. Now, I was dumb enough to think you didn't have to pay for tickets whenever I got them, and I didn't pay for tickets all through college, but they eventually caught up because they wouldn't let me graduate. So, Christina, I had to be on like a payment plan to pay back my, I didn't have student loans, but I had ticket plan I had to be on. So, anyway, I, 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 I thought, how does that happen? And I just gotten in this routine where you, can, you come out of the library and you just know what to do. You don't even think about it. You just walk out and you head back to, 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 to the dorm. And I think life's a little bit like that, that you just, you just get in this routine and you can forget really important stuff. You just get in the habit. This is what you always do. And all of a sudden you realize I, the semester's over. The year's over. College is over. Did I do the things I wanted to do? Did I become the kinds of things, the kind of person that I wanted to become? Did I fulfill any of my goals? Did I, did, did I really invest my college years the way I wanted to? Or did I just kind of follow the routine, the habits, the, the, what I was used to? I'm really glad you're here this weekend because I think a retreat like this is one of those chances to kind of reevaluate. To kind of sit back and go, hang on a second, I, school's been going on for a while now. Are things going the way I want them to go? Am I just in my routine or am I on the right path? Have I forgotten anything important? 
I'm glad you're here this week because we're going to look at one of my favorite books in all the Bible. It's a short book called the book of Jonah. There's only four chapters, and we got four talks. So one chapter per talk, we're going to look at it. it. It's one of my favorite books. It's in the Minor Prophets. Um, those are called the Minor Prophets not because they're not important. They don't have a minor message, but because they are short books. It takes about 10 minutes to read through the book of Jonah, and it might be something uh, if you have time this weekend, you might want to read through it a couple times. The book of Jonah was written thousands of years ago, but it's, it's not going to be a history lesson because it turns out that the book of Jonah is about you and me. It's a book about us. See, I think that God has something he wants to say to each person here because I'm crazy enough to believe that God brought you here for a reason. I know some of you weren't going to come, and in the last second you decided to come. Some of you almost didn't come, even though you'd signed up, but it was a last second, okay, I guess I'll follow through with it. Some people were drugged here, or coaxed here, or guilted here, or bribed to come. But I think that behind all those stories, God was at work to bring you here for a purpose. Now, I don't pretend to know what that purpose is for you. Maybe you don't know either. Maybe God brought you here to encourage you. Maybe he brought you here to open your eyes to something that you're not seeing. Maybe he brought you here to get you out of the routine that you're normally in on campus because he wanted to say something, but you weren't paying attention. Maybe it's to meet someone or to have a conversation. Maybe God brought you here to be an encouragement to someone else. I don't know, but I do know this. God is still speaking today. He spoke to Jonah, and he is still speaking today. And God wants to speak to you this weekend. Will you just bow your head with me for just a second and quietly just ask God in your own thoughts, in your own head, in your own silent prayer, just say, God, I'm open to whatever you want to teach me this weekend. God, will you speak to us this weekend? Will you teach us? We are open, Lord. Our hearts are ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it seems like we should start at the beginning. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the greatest nation on earth at that time. It had the most political might, most economic might, but most importantly, the most military might. And it says that the wickedness of the Ninevites had risen to God and that he called Jonah to go preach against them. See, the Ninevites you were, were what we might think of as, as ISIS of their day. They were the terrorists. They were the ones who were the most cruel to their enemies. And Nineveh had been pushing around. Nineveh and the Assyrians had been pushing around uh, the Israelites. They'd been pushing around and bullying uh, the, the God's people. Verse but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, 
he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I've called you to go to Nineveh, but Jonah says no. Jonah, instead, he runs away to go to a city called Tarshish. Now, have you ever thought to yourself, if God spoke to me, if I only knew what God wanted me to do, if I ever heard the voice of God, I'd do what he said. Uh, Jonah said the same thing. I'm sure Jonah thought that if he ever heard the voice of God, I'm sure Jonah thought that if God ever was clear with him of this is what I want you to do, he would have done it. But then God came and said something Jonah didn't like. Then God came and challenged Jonah, and, and, and all of a sudden Jonah, who was a prophet of God, ensured that he would obey God if he only knew what God wanted him to do, found himself running away. See, Jonah didn't like what God told him. And so he said, no. Nineveh is, was like I said, the capital of Syria. It was north of, of Jerusalem. And I, I have a map here for you to see. You can tell where Joppa is. That is the port city in which Jonah uh, got on board the ship. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. You can see that's 550 miles to the to the to the northeast but instead he gets on a ship taking him to Tarshish which is 2500 miles in the opposite uh, direction so so God says go to the Ninevites Jonah says no I'm going to go to where I want and that is to Tarshish because I'm going to run away from God so you know what's coming, right? What I want to, you to wrestle with tonight is what's your Tarshish? What's that area of your life that you are running away from God? What's that area of your life that you know what God wants you to do, but instead of submitting and surrendering, no matter how many times you've said in the past that that's exactly what you would do if you only knew what God wanted, instead of submitting and surrendering to God's will, you've gone the other direction. Because you didn't like what God had to say. I could list the areas, I mean. All the areas of your life and my life, they're not that different. But instead of listing them, would you just, for a second, in your own thoughts, just say, God, is there anywhere in my life I'm running from you? Father, I pray that if there's any area of my life that I am running away from you, that you would put your finger on it and show me this evening. See, we're all kind of escape artists, aren't we? That's what Jonah's trying to do. He's trying to escape. He's trying to get out of there. He's trying to get away from God. And, and some of the more obvious ways that we escape are things like alcohol or, or drugs. They, they numb us. They distract us. They, they are the kind of more obvious ways that we might hit the eject button on life. But there are so many other ways that we try to escape that aren't in and of themselves 
wrong or bad, that there are things in our life that look good and can be good and are often used for good, but for some of us, they end up being the ways that we try to escape, try to numb, try to numb ourselves to God and try to find a different way in our life than to listen and obey God. Like, what about binge-watching television shows? Like, like where you just sit down, and it's not like you have a plan, hey, it's Friday night, and I don't have anything to do, and I've kind of set aside this time to watch this show, but instead you find yourself just trying to escape. You know what you should be doing. You, you know what you should be, your responsibilities are, and yet you just watch show after show after show after show after show. I'm old enough to remember when I was a real little kid where where, where <laughs> we had to get up to change the channel, right? I, I, I prayed. I think you owe me because uh, I prayed for a remote control because my family always made me get up and change the channel. When I remember when you had to be, um, had to actually make an appointment to watch a television show because Thursday night it was must-see TV. That was the night that we had to get home to watch Friends, Seinfeld, and ER, one of the old doctor shows. And if you missed them, you missed them because there was no way to watch them other than watching them live, even with commercials. So binge watching, is that how you escape? What about over-exercise? Well, you know, where, where you find yourself compulsively working out. Not where you're just trying to stay in good health and in good shape, but compulsively at the gym too often. I think we call that CrossFit, right? You know, where you just find yourself overdoing things a little bit. What about gaming? What about pornography? There used to be where you had to go to a store and you had to go in, you had to buy it, and you had to go up to the, to the cash register with your pornographic magazine, and you had to look at somebody in the eye and actually purchase it. And there was a little, uh, there was enough cultural guilt that, that it just felt dirty. But of course, it's ubiquitous now. You can, you can do great damage to your soul in the privacy of, of, of your own room. You never have to go out. What about social media? Where you just kind of check out. You know, the kind of social media thing where you just kind of zone out and you try to disengage. You're escaping workaholism. Maybe for you it's schoolaholism. You know, where you don't want to have to deal with life, so you pour yourself into grades as a way to avoid having to deal with hard things. What about food? See, our bodies are wired so that when we have something sweet or salty, something like that, 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 that we get this little dopamine rush, the, kind of the pleasure centers of our brain and our body, they light up. And it used to be that, that, that sweet and salty things like that that taste so good, they were hard to find. And so it didn't hurt that you, your body really enjoyed that, that flavor, that taste. But now, well, now it, they're so ubiquitous that we can get it anytime we want. And so we escape through food, trying to find pleasure, trying to find happiness. Jonah's an escape artist. And we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. He tries to escape from God by running away from him, by heading down to a city called Tarshish. 
You know what's really weird? Although it's so ironic, it's so true to life, is that some scholars, not most of them, but some scholars say that Tarshish wasn't even really a place. How appropriate that here Jonah is, is, is look, trying to flee away from God, and he's trying to find a better life, and he's headed for a city that does not even exist. And we, too, are trying to find a life apart from God, a happiness apart from God that doesn't even really exist. We're looking for something that's not even real. Tarshish may not even be a real place, but there's a lot of ships heading for it. Happiness from apart from God does not exist, and yet there are a lot of people seeking. Psalm chapter 4, verse 2. How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? How long will you love delusions? How long will you love lies? You know, you get the impression from the psalmist that it's like you've been around long enough. You've been exposed to enough truth. You've, you've learned this, or at least we should have learned it. And so he asked kind of with this exasperated voice, how long will you love delusions? Things that by now you and I should know that aren't true. How long will you believe delusions and lies like that success satisfies? Or that the selfish way, thinking of yourself, is the best way? Or that God has put people in your life to serve you. How long will you believe those lies that you are the center of the world? That one more thing, one more experience, living in a different place, another relationship, that that will finally make you happy? How long will you look for happiness apart from God? How long will you search for Tarshish when it may not even exist? See, everyone headed to Tarshish, they think they'll be happy. If you think that happiness apart from God, or you think there is happiness apart from God, if you think that having more of something will make you happy, you should ask Homer and Mr. Burns. <laughs> you know, Mr. Burns, you're the richest guy I know. Way richer than Lenny. No, yes. But I'd trade it all for a little more. <laughs> Mr. Burns knows, right? I'd trade it all in for a little bit more. Lauren Slater is a famous American psychologist, and she says this. She said, I ache for something I cannot lose. And I just can't get that quote ever since I read it out of my head. I ache for something I cannot lose. Because that is what I feel describes my life. I can't quite figure out what I want, but I know it's out there. Or this title from a, 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 of a new book by, by a guy named Greg Easterbrook. It's, it says this, it's the progress paradox. And here's the subtitle, how life gets better while people feel worse. Why is it that the more we have, the unhappier we are? Why is it that we live in a nation with the highest standard of living in human history, and yet more people are on psychotropic drugs for anxiety and depression? When my kids are like in middle school, junior high, 
They would come and they would, they would open the refrigerator. And what would they say? Would they say, oh, gosh, God has blessed us with so much. Look at the bounty that God has provided. They would open the door of a closet, a pantry closet. And would they say, oh, I am so thankful for all the ways that mom and dad have blessed us in our house. We have so much to choose from. No, they would open refrigerator doors. They would open up pantries and say, there's nothing here to eat. And that's a picture of our life that we, we, we look at all that's out there and we go, there's nothing. There's got to be more. There's got to be something else. If you're a philosopher, a philosophy major, you've, you've, you've surely read Albert Camus. Maybe uh, you might be familiar with him even if you're not a, a, a philosophy major. He was a French existentialist writer, died in 1960, an atheist, but um, very insightful. Here's his quote by him. He says, because I long for eternal life, I slept with harlots and drank for nights on end. Now, here's an atheist who believes in eternal life. I mean, he doesn't, but what he's saying is that, that somehow there's this ache that he cannot name. And, and maybe it is that he, he, he is driven in his life to, to find happiness, to find meaning, to find purpose. And so he's saying that all of his indulgences for him sleeping with harlots and drinking for nights on end, that all those indulgences were him trying to find God, trying to find happiness, trying to find meaning. And maybe all those indulgences, all those escape buttons in our life, all those ways, the binge watching, the, the, the por pornography, the, the gaming, the over compulsive workouts, the, all of those are ways that we are trying to find meaning and purpose in God and hope and something. I remember the Christmas in which my parents ruined every other Christmas in my, for my rest of my life. I was about 12 years old, and we lived in a home where we came down a set of staircases, and then our Christmas tree was always kind of right near the bottom of those staircases, kind of sitting on the edge of our kitchen and our, our family room. And, and I walked down that Christmas morning, and I saw more presents than I'd ever seen before. My mom had bought so much. I don't know if it was just a good year financially. I have no idea what. what she, just ex she just went overboard. I saw televisions that were unwrapped. I always wanted a television in my room. I had always been told no. But that Christmas, I got my own TV. We all got our own TV. But ever since then, I've kept trying to, to, to have a Christmas like that. I've always thought back to that one and go, well, this one doesn't measure up. My wife gets frustrated because no matter what she buys for our kids for Christmas, at the last day, I'm always like, no, it's not enough. Get them more. Because I'm always trying to see on their face the same feeling that I had that Christmas. Because I always had this ache, this search, this thought. There's something else out there. And if I can just get it, if I can just see the joy on their face like I remember it when I was 12. Psalm 16.4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Nobody says, you know what, I'd really like this semester to be a semester in which I just suffer more and more. Let, let me just commit to that this, this semester. 
And yet God says that as long as we search after other gods, as long as we think that happiness exists apart from God, as long as we run from God and set sail for Tarshish, we will always have heartache and brokenness and emptiness. So here's Jonah. Jonah has been called by God to go to Nineveh, but instead he is on the run from God. He has set sail to Joppa to go to a city named Tarshish. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Remember just in the back of your mind that the Lord sent this storm. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. So we have, we have pagan sailors who are all crying out to their own different gods. It's like a shotgun approach. Let's just cry out to all the gods, and maybe one of them will hear. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah is going down. He went down to Joppa, and now he is going down into the belly of the ship. And these pagans, they look far better than Jonah does, right? They are praying. They are trying to save their lives. They are taking their precious, valuable cargo and throwing it overboard. Because these sailors, they're in a storm that is scaring them to death. They know that this is a life or death moment. And so hold on to nothing. Call out to any god. And yet, Jonah won't do that. Instead, Jonah goes down into the belly of the fish. Jonah, or the belly of this, this boat. Jonah is an unusual prophet. He doesn't obey God. He runs from God. He won't pray to God. Verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Even this pagan captain is, is begging Jonah to pray. Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots. Think, think roll the dice. Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? Well, we know the answer to that. It is God. God is the one who sent the storm. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From, from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you hear the disconnect? I believe in God, but I'm running from him. I believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, but I'm trying to get away from them. The, the longest distance in the world, the longest distance in the world is the distance between your head and your heart. The distance that's the hardest to travel, the distance that it takes the longest time to go from point A from point B is from what you know in your head to what you really believe in your heart. Jonah says, I believe in God. Do you, Jonah? I believe in God who created the heavens and the earth. 
Jonah was a prophet. Jonah knew his Bible. We will see that tomorrow morning. So didn't he know Psalm 139? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Most of us do not need more knowledge. Most of us do not need more information. What's holding us back from our relationship with God and our relationship with God is not that we don't have, we don't know enough stuff. What's holding us back is that we don't believe what we know. Jonah, he believes in God who created the heavens and the earth, but he's running from them as if he can escape his presence. What about you? You ever say, I believe the Bible is God's word, but I don't read it. I believe that God loves me, but I don't pray. I believe that God is all wise. He is in heaven and knows what's best. But I won't trust him with my sexuality. I believe that God is good, but I'm consumed by worry. Jonah believes, but he doesn't. Jonah has more head knowledge than heart knowledge. What is it that you claim to believe? Do you believe it? Verse 10, this terrified them. What is it that terrified them? Well, hearing about the Lord God, the one who created the heavens and the earth that Jonah worships. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. N now think for a moment about Jonah's options. He's admitted that he's running away from God. He's admitted that this storm is due to his disobedience. He's admitted that if he weren't on this ship, it would go a lot better for the other sailors. So what are his options? At this moment where he feels any kind of convictions, what are his options? Well, he could have repented, which just means he could have acknowledged his wrongdoing and turned from it and turned to God. He could have obeyed God and gone to Nineveh, but he doesn't do that. No, instead he tells them to throw him overboard because what he would rather do is die than surrender to God. Throw me overboard in the stormy sea. Throw me overboard in the middle of the ocean because I'd rather die than surrender to God. I'd rather die than do what he wants me to do. I'd rather die than submit to his authority. That's a scary scene. How does a prophet of God get to that point? phrase in Romans chapter 1 that scares the daylights out of me. It's a list uh, of sins. Romans 1, is a, especially the second half of the chapter, is kind of these, these, these sins of 
human beings commit, sins that are common to us all. And three times in Romans 1, it says they continued in their sins, and here's the phrase, God gave them over. They continued in their sins, and God gave them over. They continued in their sins, and then the third time, God gave them over. And I just think there's not like a red line there that says, if you do it one more time, God's going to give you over it. There's no light that goes off. There's no bell that you hear. It's just that a person's heart has grown to the point that they are so hard towards God that like Jonah who wants to die before he'll surrender to God, God gave them over to their sin. And I pray, oh God, have mercy on me. Don't give me over another day. guy in our church a few years ago and, and they had a great wife and as best I can tell she's just great and a couple of young kids and, and he had um, started dabbling in, in, in drugs and, and it got worse and worse just like all the stories you hear it turns out they're all true and and before too long he, he's doing meth and, and, and he's running away, he's destroying his family's life, he's running away, he's doing all kinds of destructive stuff. And people from the church kept trying to reach out over and over, different people. And one guy who is in our church who has struggled with his own addictions and kind of overcome them and become a person who has helped other people deal with addictions at, at church, he, he, he took some, some, some CDs and, and he took some Bible verses, because this guy wouldn't um, beat with anybody anymore. He, he'd gone to the point where he would resist it. So, he, so this guy from our church, guy, a guy named Warren, he sends them a package hoping that maybe he'll listen to something. Maybe something will break through. And then this is the package we got back. The guy just put return to sender on it. He didn't want it. He just got to a point where, like Joni said, no, I'd rather die than surrender and submit to God. And I just think of that package. And I just think of the sadness and the grief and the destruction in this guy and his family. And I think, God, have mercy on me. Well, another thing Jonah could have done is he could have just jumped overboard. But he didn't do that. Instead, he wanted to make those sailors culpable. He wanted to make them complicit in his death. And so he forced them. He said, you should throw me overboard. Sin destroys not just a person, but a community. I come from a broken home. I don't even know what my father looked like. I, as far as I know, I mean, I know this isn't true, but, but I wouldn't know what he looked like if he walked in here. No, David really could be my daddy. Kyle could really could be my daddy. I wouldn't know. Okay, maybe not. So, so my dad left before I was two, I think, or right around when I was two. Each of my, my parents, who I call my dad and my mom, they've each been married three times. I know I, I, I am a product of what sin does to communities, to families, to relationships. You've got stories, too. If you were an island, 
If every person was an island, then maybe your sin would only affect you. But that's not the way it works. So that TV campaign, the ad commercial campaign several years ago, the old what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, it turns out that's a big lie. What happens in Vegas comes home with you. What happens when you sin is it affects not just you but, but others. And that's what Jonah found is that his sin was now affecting these sailors. Now verse 13 Instead, so instead of throwing them overboard, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. All these pagans are now crying out to God. Please, Lord, do not let us die from taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard into the raging sea, and it grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made a vow to him. These pagans, so sailors, they tried hard to not throw him overboard, but when the storm grew wilder, they really had no choice. They are praying, sailors, now. They are God-fearing. They are God-worshipping. They are sacrificing to the Lord, but God's prophet does none of those things. God sends storms in your life. I bet you there's some people here tonight who feel like you're in the middle of a storm right now. A God sent storm. A mercy from God. Do you see this storm was a mercy to Jonah? It was saying, Jonah, wake up. Jonah, turn around. Jonah, look to me. Jonah, rely on the Lord, not on yourself. God sends storms in our life. He's doing a thousand things that we can't even imagine. But all those storms come from our Father who loves us and cares about us. So if you're in the middle of a storm right now, maybe it's time to say, God, when is it you want to teach me? What do I need to learn from this? God, I accept that this is from you. Help. Open my eyes. We are leaving Jonah tonight at the end of chapter 1. He's in the middle of uh, the sea. He's run from God. He's in a bad place. But things are going to get a lot worse. But God isn't done with Jonah. And no matter what you're doing to escape from God, no matter what Tarshish you're running to, no matter how much you proclaim you believe in God, but are running the opposite way, God is not done with you either. The music team will come back up. They're going to lead us in another song. Let's bow our head and pray. Father, feel like that what I want you to do tonight in my life and in everybody's life really is, is to put your finger on that area of our life that we're running from you in, so that we can see it, God, because sometimes we get so caught up like Jonah, I don't even think we see how we're trying to escape from you, but then God I don't want you to just do that, but if you would, Lord, I pray that you would also open our eyes 
that we could see that life is found in you, that you satisfy, that in you there's hope, that in you there's joy, that in you there's security. That we're not going to be able to get there on our own. The reality is that we're all like Jonah. We're all quick to run, quick to proclaim something that we don't really believe. So what we've got to do, Lord, is just have your grace. That's where we're going to cast ourselves tonight, Lord, on your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.